0: Well, hello, Sunridge and online guests. Uh, Most of you are aware that our church uh, decided to start meeting on Sunday mornings at 10.30 here, outside on our campus, socially distanced. And yet I'm recording uh, this message on Wednesday during the week for those that can't make it or are still concerned about the COVID virus. You don't feel safe uh, you know, coming to be a part of a crowd. So if you uh, are just out there checking for churches or you're exploring faith in Christ or what it might mean for you to start going to church, uh, this message is also uh, done in context with our whole church together in our parking lot on Sunday mornings at 1030 and we invite you to come and be a part of that. I wanna read from the New International Version Today, while I get, when I get started here, I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, verses one through 12. And the words will be up on the screen here. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the words of Jesus in what has been called the Sermon on the Mount. When uh, I was in college, in Bible college, I had a friend who uh, if you went to see a movie with him, he was that guy that, um, you know, in the middle of the movie, if he saw it beforehand, he would start to say things out loud about, oh, this is where he dies. Oh, man, d- you know, this is going to be so scary. And, you know, like he was the spoiler of uh, anything, you know, this is going to be cool. And, you know, he's always like preempting you for what was going to come up next. And so, like in a movie, that isn't very helpful, I know, but. When uh, we look at trying to understand scripture, uh, that is very, very important. A lot of times knowing the conclusion or knowing the end or knowing where we're going is really helpful in putting the pieces together or understanding why we're making a decision, the decisions that we're making in this moment. That's true of the Bible in general, because once we realize that the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus and the redemption of humankind. That helps us put the pieces together, particularly those that are difficult, but it gives us a view, it lets us know where we're going. And it's also true in the smaller sense with the Sermon on the Mount. And those of you who've been following with us, uh, Jed launched this series that we're uh, exploring right now, the Sermon on the Mount, 18 messages, just starting from the beginning to the end, but Jed started at the end so that we would know what is our destination? Where are we headed? And in that uh, conclusion of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the story of two home builders. And you know the homes are built on different foundations. And we know that the footings or a foundation of, our, of a building are the real work. And the work that's been put into that really doesn't show until it's challenged or till disaster strikes, until you're trying to live in it in the midst of a storm. And so too, with the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus says here, everything he says and does in his ministry, the things that he cared about, the values that he held are built upon this foundation. And so too, we, as we look at his teachings and try to follow him, we are building a life. We're building a a faith. We're um, collecting beliefs and values. And so as we do that, we have to build on a solid foundation. And Jesus said the solid foundation is doing what he said. So these things that we're learning from Jesus, they're not just things that we talk about. They're not just great ideas to bounce around. are the truths, the the things, the values that Jesus advocated, that Jesus believed and he lived by. As he starts uh, his sermon, this is a super powerful imagery for any traditional Jew of that time. It'd be much like if you've been to the uh, Lincoln Memorial in Washington, DC, where you step into that big room where there's the giant, the colossal uh, figure of Abraham Lincoln and on the walls are inscribed the Gettysburg Address and other things. And so once you see that, it's like you, you can never forget it. Every time that you, you read the Gettysburg Address or something comes up about Lincoln, you have this picture, not just of the person, but of the values and who he was and it kind of takes you back to that uh, anytime that we read something that Lincoln said. And so Matthew, uh, he writes from a very Jewish perspective and he's Jesus here is using the imagery this, of Moses. I mean, Jesus is, Moses came down from the mountain and he had the 10 commandments and here Jesus is on a mountainside he is teaching from a seated position, from a place of authority. The content uh, that we're gonna look at today in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most well-known and the most quoted. And it begins with the, these nine blessings that have come to be called, we, you might've heard them called this Beatitudes. And you know, we have them on posters and wall art and we make social media memes out of them. Uh, Some people have uh, misconstrued this word beatitudes and and kind of believe that what that means is these are the beatitudes, and maybe you've done that, as in do these, be poor in spirit, be mournful, and uh, as terrible as that exegesis is of these nine statements that Jesus makes, uh, I have to admit that there was a time when I was a high school pastor. I actually taught this uh, as the Beatitudes. Uh, beatitude actually just means, in Latin, it means blessing. And so when we look at this, these 12 verses, um, there are really two big questions that we need to ask. Number one is, what does it mean to be blessed? And then two, who is Jesus talking to? Who are the blessed People, and that's so important to understand what he is actually saying and what his message in life were about. In the chapter previous to this in Matthew 4, and verse 17, Jesus announced the kingdom. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that is the storyline of the entire Bible, that uh, we're messy, we're messed up, and we require redemption. We need fixing, and that begins with us repenting before inheriting or adopting this kingdom living, this way of living in the teachings of Jesus. And then a little further on in chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, we see who Jesus is talking to, who's attracted to this message, who is following him. At this time, and in Matthew 4, 23 through 25, we see Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. And news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them and large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is who is with Jesus. These are his followers at this time. This is his audience. It's not the powerful. It's the sick, the mentally ill, the poor the people that are left out in the brutal world of that first century. There is no welfare. There's no government housing. There's no Medicare. And for them just to exist day by day was a challenge. And it's these people that flock to Jesus and they follow him. So he just has really a bunch of losers following him in his day. And he says about them that the blessed ones are people who are poor. He says, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is both economically and spiritually. Luke 6 addresses financial poorness in the same kind of context. But Matthew here is addressing what being poor can do to you. It causes spiritual poorness, a low self-image, to be oppressed, to be without opportunity or education, to be vulnerable and dependent upon a daily handout. These are also people who are mournful. Blessed are those who mourn. For Jesus' listeners, these people, their, their human condition is a mournful way to live. They're mourning their lives. They've experienced tragedy and injustice and loss, and most times early death. They're also, landless, blessed are the meek, Jesus says. And of course that means gentle certainly, but there's also a connection here to land inheritance because to be meek is to infer that you have no power, no land, no power, no ownership, no influence. And so you're unable to respond with power to the injustices that come your way, uh, which if you had land, if you were wealthy, you could respond, but because you're powerless, you can only absorb what happens to you uh, from the Roman empire and from others. There's one note here I wanna point out that Jesus is described as being meek, but he had power. And this is one of the unique uh, things about our Lord. His audiences are also people with longings. Uh, And when I use the word longing, by definition, they are unmet longings. There are people with longings for justice. In verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are people who have a longing for things to be right, to be right with God certainly, but to be right with others and to live in a just world as defined by Torah, their Bible of the time. They also have a longing for mercy. Blessed are the merciful. You know, the world was not a merciful place at this time nor in many cases was religion very merciful. And we see stories where Jesus is confronting religious leaders even of his day about their lack of mercy. They have longings to have a pure heart. In verse eight, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. You know, these people who have nothing, they're longing to live in a way that's devout and to live differently, to love God, to love others and certainly themselves in a pure way. It's reflected in David's Psalm in Psalm 5110, when he prays, God create in me a pure heart. And then they also have longings for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, a peacemaker is someone who sees the absence of shalom or peace, but has the claiming of that or advocating of it or bringing it into the world as a priority in the efforts of their lives. And certainly these are people without peace. And so they have a longing for that and to be a part of it, but because they don't have power, they can really do nothing about it. These are also people who have suffered because of their lack of power, their lack of wealth, They have suffered the injustices of their day. They've suffered persecution in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In other words, Jesus is saying here, even though your longings and your efforts are to bring heaven to earth, or your longings are for justice and for mercy and to bring peace, you've been treated wrongfully. You are persecuted. Not only that, but you're you're being insulted and lied about. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So Jesus's audience, his followers at this time, in this sermon, in this setting, are the poor, the mournful, the powerless, Those who are longing for a better life, they're outcasts, suffering and persecuted. It's to them, to these people that he says, you are the blessed ones. Jesus says the blessed ones are the hurting, the powerless, the invisible, the rabble of their day. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but I've been around children's ministry for many years. And I can remember in the early days of Sunday school where there would be posters of this scene of the Sermon on the Mount up in the classrooms. And it always had nice, clean, respectable people sitting on a beautiful green grass-covered hill with a few gentle and loving and cuddly looking lambs but that's not the scene here. This is not what's happening. This, what Jesus is saying is, and who he's talking to is totally radical. If They had Instagram or social media at this time. This would go viral, that this would be on every news outlet. Jesus says that these people are the blessed ones because that is not the way they would think about it. And when they heard it, when, when people heard this, they were taken back by it. Some would laugh. Some would deride them, deride him. Some would call him a nut job. It was surprising and confusing and shocking. And as the people that thought of themselves as the blessed ones listened, they would have been saying, no, 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 that's, that's not right. This, you can't be saying this to these people because their context of who was blessed was totally the opposite of what Jesus was saying. And this is part of what sets Jesus on a collision from the beginning of his ministry in this Sermon on the Mount, when he's he's laying down his manifesto, He's, he's laying down the core values of who he is, and helping us to understand and take us back to God's original plan. And it's not only his teaching and the content that is putting him on this collision course with the religious leaders of his day from the very get go, but it's also who he's saying is blessed because what Jesus is saying to these people in his audience is, I see you and for many of them for the first time, this is, something that they've never experienced because they're invisible in their culture. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And this is the gospel. This is why it's called good news because the people that thought that they were far from God or thought that God would never give them a second look or thought that God was only angry at them or God had unblessed them and cursed them in a way, Jesus is saying, you are the blessed ones. You are the fortunate ones. So I don't know what your situation is, whether you're listening online or you're watching this video. Um, if you feel like you're far from God or you feel like you could never come to church, that that you're that like God would never accept you from the very get-go of what Jesus has to say when he launches his public ministry. He is saying, I see you. And I see you as a blessed one. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? I mean, how do you even say that correctly? I know, I caught myself uh, going back to my old King James English when I read this. Some of you are going to rewind to hear it again. I said blessed when I read the text. And since then, I've dropped off of that saying it in the normal way, right? What does it mean to be blessed? How, how important is it to understand this word? Well, I love what Scott McKnight says in his Story of God Commentary Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the commentaries that I've used to study for this series. He says, on this one word that is blessed, the entire passage stands. And from this one word, the whole list hangs. Get this word right and the rest falls into place get it wrong and the whole thing falls apart. So the question is like, what, what does Jesus mean when he says they are blessed? Is he saying because just because you're poor or mournful or without power or property, you're blessed? Is he saying um, how awesome it is to be those things? No. To say someone is blessed is a common way of teaching values at this time in the traditional rabbinic way. We find this pattern in passages of scripture, like in Psalm 1, where uh, the psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not, see, I just did it again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Mostly blessed are you is saying you have it good. In some of the rabbinic teaching of Jesus's day, they would put together these homilies or sermons or writings that would be written in this way, blessed are. And some of the things that we have recorded as rabbinic teaching is blessed are those who never have to serve someone who's beneath them. Blessed is the man who has not born a woman. Blessed is the, are the wealthy. Blessed are those who have their health. Blessed are the ones whose lives lives are filled with laughter. But the actual word blessed is makarios. And so these nine blessings are also known, taken from this Greek word makarios, um, they're known as makarisms. Now that's not macaroni or not the macarena, a makarism is a pronouncement of blessing or fortune. So to be blessed is to flourish. And that's actually a title of another commentary that I've used for this series by uh, Jonathan T. Pennington, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. In other words, the, the entire approach that Pennington uses here is that the things that Jesus talks about are the key in the Sermon on the Mount, are the key to human flourishing. And we'll, re- we'll repeat that theme as we go through some of the things that he says. So what is Jesus saying with these nine macarisms? Is he saying the poor and the powerless and those that are crying all the time are more virtuous? No. Is he saying that we're supposed to be these things that he's talking about? No. And again, I love this quote from Stanley Hauerwas. Uh, he's a theologian and professor at Duke University, he writes too often, these characteristics of the blessings have in Christian history been turned into ideals we must attain. Poor in spirit, meek, mourn, meek, hunger. As I mentioned earlier, I taught that as a high school pastor many, many years ago. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which of course is the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, they're descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all of the time, or try to get yourself persecuted. It simply announces the great surprise. These people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be the first among those called into God's Kingdom. You may have heard this phrase before a blacklist. A blacklist is somebody that is, you know, it's a list of names that they're out. They're not part of the party. They're the people that we're going to go after. And what Jesus is doing here is the opposite of a blacklist. Something is happening with Jesus' list of people who are blessed. Here is what he is saying. And I'll wrap up with these three main thoughts. First of all, he's talking about others. He's saying that the blessings tell us that people that don't matter, matter. This is something that's fundamental to Christian thought. If you, if you wonder like what what, what is, how has Christianity affected our world today? Even if we're post-Christian or whatever phrase you wanna use to describe this day and time. See, there's nothing in Darwinian philosophy that says that people on the margins matter. The idea that people that are without or sick or um, under-resourced or lack education Uh, should have our compassion and our concern, and we should do something, those of us who can. This This comes from Christian thought. And so Jesus is saying that these outcasts, the people that are forgotten are God's chosen, sometimes because I think that we're most likely to choose him when we find ourselves in that condition, because we have nothing to lose. Uh, when uh, It's at least 25 years ago uh, when I was still on a job as a fireman, I don't know, by the way, have I mentioned to you that I used to be a fireman? Um, and we would go on so many calls uh, to rest homes in our station's first district. I've been to so many nursing facilities and I can just tell you honestly that after a while you just get calloused and you know it's like the people that we saw day in and day out uh, they weren't real people to you I don't know if that's a defense mechanism or what but I can remember on one particular day um, I was on one more of those calls and there's an older lady that's completely emaciated in her uh, hospital bed in this facility she's in a diaper And as a captain, I would not treat the patient, but I would document and I would gather all the medical information and the the patient's medical history. And I just remember being blown away as I'm looking at this person laying in this bed that doesn't even at that point seem human. She can't talk to us, she's unresponsive and she's just maybe 70, maybe 60 pounds, I don't know. And in the patient's history it'll usually say, you know, their home address or, and, and, and sometimes it would say what they used to do, or and it might be attached to their uh, medical insurance or something. And in this particular person whose name was Dolly, I can remember, she was a Disney illustrator. And it was like, boom, all of a sudden this, this, body that was not a person to me became a person. And that was like a turning point in my career where as much as possible, I began to see these patients that we would see more as human beings. Sometimes you just have a breakthrough like that where you see people differently. Something changes your perspective. And these teachings of Jesus and the way he frames it and the audience that is there is telling us that the people that don't matter in our world today, they matter. What does it say to us that Jesus begins his ministry with a blessing over the discarded of his day? You know what it means to become calloused? Callous is form because you rub in the same place over and over and over again. And can't you with me recognize how easy it is to become calloused, calloused to all the statistics that we hear and read and see, callous to homeless, callous to COVID deaths, callous to inner city crime, callous to rundown schools, callous to the inmate population and teen pregnancy and drunk driver deaths and abortions. After a while, it's like you just get used to it. And I think this part or this, the fact that Jesus comes to this audience, he gathers this audience and he says that they are the blessed ones and that they matter. It tells us something that we have to push through that callousness. Who's on on the list of discarded For you, who are the people that are most difficult to love or who are the people that you find yourself discounting because of their lifestyle or their political party or their belief system or their religion or where they live or their their, uh, life habits? or their traditions, because they're different than ours, we just discount them. The people that don't matter, matter to God. Now, this part of the Sermon on the Mount also addresses something about ourselves. The blessings tell us that we can flourish in the most unlikely circumstances if they lead us to follow Jesus. I mean, again, seeing this context, we have to like not just look outwardly at people through a different lens, but look at ourselves because our circumstances are not an indication of God's preference or non-preference for us. The truth is we're all losers. We're all messy. We're all messed up. And sometimes that acknowledgement, even by a Christian, can cause us to turn away from God because we feel like God has turned on us. And certainly in Jesus' day, and certainly in our time today, people turn away. From Jesus, but this is the real life Jesus. And he is saying that our condition, our human condition, our living conditions, our financial condition, our influence condition, the clothes we wear, the place we live, the, the cars that we drive, that is not an indication of whether God favors us or not. But it is up to us to determine how we're going to perceive that. How we're going to respond to our situation. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says here, a blessed and flourishing person is someone who because of a heart for God is promised and enjoys God's favor, regardless of status or condition. So this is the thing. And this brings us to why we are here. The blessings invite us to reimagine our world as though apprenticing under Jesus. And this continues this thought. If your current condition is you're poor, Jesus says it doesn't matter that you're poor. The kingdom of heaven is yours. In Hebrew, there's a word anawim, which describes the poor of the Jewish community who remained faithful. It's a lot like in Luke's gospel where you hear this where there's Anna living uh, basically in the in the temple she's on the dole she's on the Hebrew welfare of her time but yet she's devout it's not her husband had died and she's dependent upon her daily sustenance from the the offerings or the charity of uh, the temple and yet she lived to see Jesus that was the strongest desire of our heart. Your current condition might be that you're mournful. And Jesus says to you that you too can flourish even in your pain. You will be comforted if you find your comfort in the right place, not in the wrong place. And certainly when we feel low or we feel left out or we feel like we don't measure up, Isn't it easy to go and try to find our comfort somewhere else? Those who are comforted by God find true comfort. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 4 that we comfort others through the trial and the comfort that God has given us. So there's even an added comfort to us when we focus on Christ in spite of what might be a mournful condition for us right now. Those, there are some of us that have lost loved ones during COVID, either to COVID or you've been separated from them and estranged for a long time. Or maybe just life just seems to be unraveling or maybe you can't, you can't find employment now. You lost your job and you're one of the many millions that are unemployed right now in this country and you're mourning this. Even in that situation, Jesus is saying that If we come to him, we can be comforted. Some of us feel like we're meek and powerless. And Jesus says to us, you will inherit the earth. That is not just in the eschatological sense that one day we'll rule in God's kingdom. We can live in a world as it should be. And your inheritance, regardless if you don't have land, you have a heavenly inheritance and you have been adopted into the family of God. So your pedigree is strong in spite of the fact that you don't don't have a human legacy that perpetuates you into wealth or into influence or power. Some of us have longings, longings for mercy, and we see a loveless and harsh world and we try to love And yet nothing seems to change. And doesn't it seem like the world is getting meaner and meaner? We talked a few weeks ago about the cancel culture. And, you know, we're just so easily blowing each other up in this day and time. But Jesus promises if our first response is mercy, then you will be shown mercy as well. Some of us have longings to be pure in heart. You you long for your heart to be drawn to God in spite of the things that like seem to want to pull you down to make your your heart seems black and spiteful at times. But you do long to stand with clean hands and a pure heart before God, like the psalmist says in Psalm 24. And Jesus promises you will see God. Some of you have a longing for peace. You long for peace and your efforts to help people to talk or to let things go or to listen. It seems like you're from another universe today and the world just grows more and more fractious and cruel and spiteful. And not just the world in, you know, in a global sense or a national sense, even in our marriages and our families and our church with our friends and our, even our siblings many times there doesn't seem to be peace. Jesus says, you're the blessed one, that you will be called the children of God if you long to bring peace to the world. What more, could, what could look more like Jesus? What could we do more to bear his image than to bring shalom, to our world, but here's the thing, the people who do these things, Jesus says, will suffer injustice. Not always, but many times, how many of us you're listening today and you feel that your efforts to live as a Jesus follower often have led only to heartache, only to rejection, sometimes even from Christian brothers and sisters. You're longing for justice to speak out about injustice or to talk about your faith. You find yourself ridiculed or persecuted, not invited. You're in college and everybody from your floor is going off to go to a party or whatever, and you're not invited. You're in an office space and you can see people gathering and they leave to go after work to hang out and, They don't invite you to the after work activities, or you've tried to take a stand on the injustice in the world, or abortion, or racism, or caring for the poor. And you find yourself outside of the circle. You may have even found that people have fabricated things about you. They lie about you, they've ridiculed you and maybe even persecuted you. So that because of your faith in Jesus and your attempts to bring people together or to live purely, you find yourself facing injustice. And it's to you that Jesus says in verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets which were before you. I don't know if you're tracking, if this came to your mind as we went through these verses, but isn't this kind of an autobiography by Jesus? Doesn't this just sound like his life, not only his teaching, but doesn't the outcome sound the same? You see, when we look at who Jesus called blessed, And what that blessing means, we realize that Christianity is not the sum of doctrines or creeds or statements. In the end, it's a person. And our goal as Christians is to live with that same bent, to apprentice under Jesus toward these things and toward people the way that he did. And when we do that, Jesus says, you are blessed. And you know, the truth is others will be blessed too. Will you pray with me? God, um, we're kind of surprised and shocked at who are the blessed and who you leaned toward. And some of us can feel that in a way that's much more visceral than others would feel it. We've experienced some of the things that, Jesus talked about here. Would you help us to lean towards you, to see that the people that don't matter matter, to follow you hard and with all of our heart and to experience even the pain in our life in a way that bears your image and speaks your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.